This week, a huge bombshell dropped. In case you are living under a rock, TCG Player announced that it had acquired Channel Fireball and Binder POS. Chances are, if you're a fan of Magic or just play Magic, you are thinking immediately about two things. Number one, future Magic content. Number two, future Magic events. We can assume that content-wise is going to be a big old merger. So that's good. Events? Mm, that's anyone's best guess. We'll hope for the best. In today's episode, we're going to answer the big burning questions to help you see the business side of things. What does this mean for the magic market in general? How does this impact the magic retailers and where you buy cards? And if you're buying magic cards on the internet for your new commander deck, does the price of magic go up or down? And what the heck is a binder POS anyway? My mother told me never to call things bad names. What did that binder ever do to anyone? Today on Humans of Magic, we've got some experts on the line. Three retailers, Michael Caffrey of Tales of Adventure, Edward Nguyen of Vermilion, Douglas Johnson, or DJ of Card Garden MTG, owner of the esteemed Gonti deck that you've seen on Ristic Studies, and host of the Brainstorm Brewery Podcast. Three of the absolute best in the industry are joining us on Humans and Magic and breaking down the mega deal acquisition. All right, this needs to be said, so I will make it a full disclosure. I have personally been involved with two magic startups that are connected to some of the players mentioned in this episode. My first startup, Cardboard Live, has been doing business with Wizards of the Coast and we help magic streamers. My second startup, StreamSage, is working with magic stores on Shopify. So just want to put that out there, make sure that uh, you understand that as a listener. It doesn't really impact the episode, but I feel like as a wannabe journalist, I should probably mention that just in case. All right, I know you're keen to hear the episode, but hear me out. First, make sure you're following Humans and Magic on Twitter, on Instagram, and now on TikTok. We are everywhere. Subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever it is you listen to podcasts. Come on, y'all. I need that support. Even better, tell a dear friend to also subscribe, follow, and listen to Humans and Magic. You may have also noticed that I'm branching out a bit this year. First, it was the Ukrainian magic episode. Then it was the Pete Hoefling interview on SCG vaccination requirements. And now we've got the TCG player CFB mega deal episode. This one. I'm doing my best to put the journalism hat on from time to time. And it would be extremely helpful if you would consider contributing to my Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash humans of magic and get some exclusive content. But let's be real. I'm doing this for the love of Magic the Gathering. Your support would help me do more of it. Create more stories, more features, more good stuff that you want to hear. So yeah, that's the pitch. Please enjoy this episode and consider supporting Humans of Magic. Thank you. I'm Michael Caffrey. I own the Tales of Adventure retail store in Coopersburg, Pennsylvania, as well as toamagic.com, the online retailer. We've been in business for nine years since 2013. We've been selling on tcgplayer.com since 2014, and we've been vending at any major North American magic event since 2015. 
let's talk about the big event this week, which is the TCG Player Channel Fireball merger slash acquisition. So uh, perhaps for the listeners, can you break it down? Like, what are the particulars involved here? So TCG Player is acquiring Channel Fireball, or the Channel Fireball Group is how they're describing it, which includes ChannelFireball.com, which is the website that is now a marketplace, very similar to TCG Player structurally. It includes the content side of ChannelFireball.com, where people can read articles. It includes Channel Fireball events, which ran Grand Prix in the 2018 to 2020 era. And then also the Binder point of sale system, which the Channel Fireball Group acquired in 2020. Binder is a New Zealand company that created a point of sale that stacks on top of Shopify. So it's really those three or four elements that TCG Player is getting out of this deal. From a retailer perspective, I, I guess you can speak from your own perspective, Tales of Adventure, or just in general. What do you think this deal means for retailers? A lot of this deal depends on the execution and product development. TCG Player, for really the past four or five years, when they, they get on stage at Gamma and they take the time to communicate to retailers where their, their roadmap is, where their goals are, they have really tried to get into this, this point of sale space. What a point of sale is, is when you are buying things at your, at your LGS, the clerk will punch into the tablet or computer or whatever, the items that you're buying, and then you swipe your credit card and, and buy the thing. And the point of sale keeps track of all the inventory in the store. It keeps track of what, what things are being sold and also helps with the acquisition of, of items. That's like the really exciting part the point of sale space is a very big challenge for how niche the hobby game industry is. And a big part of that is how vast the catalog is. So if you take a look at a set like Double Masters that just came out, there's 800 different cards in the set, plus all of those cards exist in foil, so up to 16. Plus you can have five grades of all those cards, so up to 8,000. Double Masters 2 is in four languages, so now we have 32,000 line items in the database for just the most recent Magic expansion. From a data perspective problem, designing a point of sale for a local game store is deceptively challenging. A lot of retailers I know use Square as their point of sale. And Square is very fast, it's cheap, it has good credit card integration, it's great for most retailers, but it can't handle Magic singles because once you get over 20 or 30,000 SKUs total, you start to have degradation of quality of, of the system. Everything just takes longer to, to find items or to scan a barcode, which means that you can't just list the Tarmogoyf that you bought on your Square platform and have it all have it all kind of function. Realistically, getting greater adoption of the binder point of sale would be good if it comes to fruition. TCG Player has been actively trying to, to design POS and, and get into this, this space for a while. So having things like like board games or supplies or all these things, uh, Binder has theoretically solved all of these problems already, which means that hopefully we're going to see see some adaptation here. Crystal Commerce, who had been the the front runner for this POS space for most retailers, had disastrous problems in the 2016 or so era, where the TCG player and Crystal Sync stopped working, which means that if you if you as the customer bought a card on tcgplayer.com, the store on Crystal Commerce, like very separate from that, never actually saw your order. 
which means that that same card might have sold two or three times and that you have cancellations and and all these problems that that sprung out of that integration. So hopefully bringing it all under one roof means that there is greater efficiency throughout this process for most of the the smaller retailers, small being under $3 million, under $5 million a year in sales, which is 95% of retailers. But what does it mean for retailers that are purely online? There's a lot more of them. There's also just smaller retailers that don't have a storefront and kind of operate on the TCG player platform. What are the ramifications for those smaller players in the ecosystem? So in terms of the point of sale for a smaller retailer, I don't think it's going to have a dramatic effect. One of the potential spots is that there are multiple ways of interacting with tcgplayer.com from the, the seller side, where you could be a, a sync seller using Crystal Commerce. You could be just directly keying everything into uh, the TCG player backend on a very rudimentary type level. Or you could do this middle ground, which TCG player bills as TCG player pro. The pro system is entirely free for in terms of in terms of setup, in terms of customers in your store buying things. The only thing you get charged for is customers going to your website and buying, and then that's that's a nominal, you know, three percent referral plus three percent for credit cards. And that is almost redundant software at this point because it's not quite in the same scale as as the Binder platform, which also gives people their own sites. I don't know what TCG Player is going to do, but one of the cost-saving efficiencies that might happen is eliminating this this pro channel that's that's been the affordable middle ground, which means the stores are either going to have to decide to be much smaller or much larger and not really exist in that middle. There is a minimum fee for Binder and for, for Shopify already that I believe is in the $100 a month range as a, as a flat fee. We may see a, a spot where the, the fees dramatically increase for some sellers in a way that's not very sustainable for, for them. Are there any trickle-down ramifications on your business? In terms of this particular acquisition, I'm not too worried. I don't think anything's going to be changing all that much. In terms of how the, the second and third level affects there are some concerns over the size of TCG player, the, the role of TCG player, just the overall market consolidation, because really the, so every, every transaction, right? Like you are, you are a magic player. You are buying a deck. Let's say you, let's say you spend a hundred dollars on this deck. And if you go to toamagic.com and buy the deck, we're going to pay $5 to ship it to you. We're going to pay $5 in payment processing and, and crystal fees. And that other $90 goes towards us buying the cards and running our business, right? Like the, the overhead and whatnot. If you go to tcgplayer.com and buy that same order from 20 different sellers, TCG Player is going to have the higher percentage fee, right? As they, as they do. And they're going to take $6 in their, their flat 30 cent per transaction fee. Um, they're going to take roughly 12% in, in payment fees. And then... All 20 of those sellers are going to be mailing you an envelope. So we go from that that $100, you lose 12 in fees, you lose six in the flat fees, so you're up to 18, and then $10 in shipping with 28. So the store collectively get $72 minus all of their, their labor costs and whatnot, and their costs to acquire the cards. So that's kind of the, the, the challenge in the marketplace right now, is that you have these marketplaces where you can get the selection and, and order from a bunch of different sellers, 
but the total amount of net revenue collected is much smaller when you're going through the marketplace instead of going through your own site. You know, I'd much rather be getting $95 than, than $72 from the, the overall retailer perspective, considering the customer's paying the same money. I think this is the sort of thing you look at on a macro level in terms of how TCG player being the, the man in the middle is splitting up the sorter. So they are getting a share of the, of the pie here when uh, it, it's obviously in the retailer's best interest to not split up that pie where where we can. Obviously, the trade-off is is price and selection, and all these examples get a little bit more egregious when you factor in things like the the direct program, where TCG Player will mail you one envelope from Syracuse, but there's still all the pass-on fees on the other side. What we're looking at as a business is how to get more direct website traffic and how to cultivate the brand in a way where we are getting more, more direct customer engagement. In the future, if you're a retailer and you're trying to be independent as in not in, on the TCG player website, or you're just trying to sell to your website for higher margins, as you said, how easy or difficult is that? I guess the question is like, how easy, difficult is it now? And does that change in the foreseeable future? A lot of magic players are just very set in their ways of where they to buy cards, what interfaces they like to use, who they like to support. And that's that's great once you've established a customer base, but is is much harder to break into. Um, something that really just takes takes a lot of time. This is where the the content element kind of comes in when you see the the very powerful the, the amount of writing and the amount of money that is spent on, on creators in the the greater magic space. Uh, there was a time when Channel Fireball like was paying $30 on Jace Friends Prodigy. And they were they said, yeah, we're sold out on our website at $50 or $60. And the card was available on tcgplayer.com for $25 because their brand was so strong. They had people just going there saying, I want to, I want to play the deck the pros, are, the pros are playing. I want to build this. Having and building a base of people who choose you as the, as the place to buy cards is powerful, but it's difficult to get that going. It is a brand play, right? Because with this merger, with this acquisition, they have access to the CFB stable of content, which is still substantial to my understanding. I mean, I guess competitive content is not as prevalent as it was, but they still have a lot of good creators, writers, uh, streamers and such, right? So how do you feel about that part of the equation? I think the content acquisition, although it affects the smallest number of people, also likely has the most dramatic effect you know, we saw uh, PVDDR move from Channel Fireball to Star City Games a couple of years ago, and I, I don't know what kind of salary somebody like PV would be making, but I'm, I'm sure it was a substantial move. And having the, the culture of being able to jump ship between multiple large retailers who had a, had a budget for, for writing, for articles, for videos, helps create a class of people who uh, can devote the time to do these things. And seeing that largely shrink um, because there are now fewer people who are willing to pay money and in particular, fewer people who are able to pay uh, significant amounts of money to create this content is really a net negative for the industry at large. And how do you feel about the, the Channel Fireball events arm? Because that is, a, that is an asset that TCG now has. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess basically what are your views about that, if any? In terms of an, an acquisition and what assets are actually 
for sale or, or purchasable. There's a lot of hard goods that uh, that are part of the deal, right? There are, there's, there's tablets and, and scorekeeping computers and banners and signs and all that stuff. But in terms of what this deal most likely was valued at, all of those physical properties just a complete rounding error. Anybody who wants to get in the space can just do it. So it's a question of if there's continuity of contracts, uh, if such a contract exists between Channel Fireball and Wizards of the Coast or um, LSS or anyone else that's trying to do events and the people who actually do the events. They don't necessarily have an event system in place to just jump back into. If you compare the Channel Fireball events system to to Star City Games and how they how they approach it, where it's a lot of the same faces that you saw pre-pandemic and you saw, you know, they they really did a good job trying to keep the the people that they needed to get events going uh, on the books. Trail Fireball Events has done some of that, but they would have to make some pretty substantial investments in the space to get back to that level. Not saying they can't do it, but it's it would be a, a it'd be a big challenge. And I don't think that the Trail Fireball Events part of the business is a particularly valuable one, given how there's no strategic advantage to it existing. Uh, I guess to follow up on that as, as a potential vendor at, at those events, there's some potential weirdness. When TCG Player rolled out Buy List in maybe 2016, they had a giant booth at Gen Con that year, and customers go to the buy list and say, I want to submit this this card and this card and this card, and you can submit the grades. And TCG Player funds it with money from your sales. They take a fee for doing it and position the cards to go right back onto their their website marketplace. Right? They buy the cards. You set the prices on both sides. They sell the cards. You can buy and sell things and never see a, a single card despite, and, and have a very successful magic business just putting numbers in a spreadsheet, basically. So TCG Player at Gen Con, when BIOS was new, had a whole booth at Gen Con and had customers, yeah, scanning your cards and then bring it up here and we'll pay you out based on the, the BIOS withholdings that are all, that people, you know, pre-funded all this with. They haven't really done that sort of thing since, but it does create kind of an interesting competitive ecosystem, right? Where the way that they're presenting themselves to to the customers and how they have to balance where they put themselves in the hall and how they how they advertise and market the event to the player base while also trying to allow or encourage other other vendors to come in, sign up and, and spend a lot of money to be able to sell cards. It becomes a challenge if that's a direction they, they try to move. If the first 50 feet of the hall is, here's our TCG player cameras, that becomes a, a big challenge in the event space, which is also just a very interesting challenge of, of that ecosystem. Would you think twice in the future about setting up like that or just because of the visibility or how do you see the whole situation? I think there's a lot of applications in game theory for how uh, this sort of thing would play out. If I have my customers that, that, that buy and sell me regularly and, and we do enough volume where the event becomes something that we can say is, is a success, then we can continue doing it. And if we feel that we're not making money or the, the numbers pan out that we're not making money, then you know, we, we'd stop doing it. But it, it's just one of those things that kind of makes me potentially cautious about it in terms of how they're choosing to handle it. Michael, I also want to switch gears and talk about the high-end slash collectibles part of the market. 
because my understanding is that CFB, Channel Fireball, has historically been in that space in terms of collectibles, in terms of sports cards, sneakers, or things other than magic cards. And I also am thinking about another thing, which is historically speaking, if you want to buy like really high-end magic cards, like, I don't know, power or graded power, you're not going on to TCG player for that, right? You might actually be going to a Tales of Adventure. You might be doing it on a, a Facebook group with references. So in light of those being two markets, the collectibles market and the high-end magic market, how do you see this playing out for not only the TCG player, but also for consumers? Overall, we're at a point where we're seeing a lot of overtures to uh, making the marketplace be perceived as safer. We have the StockX authentication program where sellers send their things into StockX and then StockX sends it on to the buyer after ensuring it's real. So this this concept of we want to make sure that what we're buying is is good is a big challenge. TCG Player does have largely a low barrier to entry and a lot of uh, low barrier entry for sellers, right? You could you can go on there and say, "Here's my Black Lotus, and it's five hundred dollars." Like that's that's a thing you can just do uh, because of how the marketplace is structured. So it does kind of present some some challenges to buying and selling there. That said, TCG players uh, buyer and seller guarantees are top notch. Um, I actually love selling expensive cards through TCG Player. So TCG Player will cap the fees at fifty dollars per item. Which is much less than than a percentage fee. It's also much less than than eBay's fees on 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 big items. eBay caps the fees. Are, I think around seven hundred and fifty dollars. TCG Player also has both a buyer and seller guarantee, where there are certain protections involved on both sides. So if the the buyer says, "Hey, I opened the envelope and it was empty," and we say, "Hey, TCG Player, you know, we we sealed the envelope. Like they should have the product." TCG player generally is able to take care of both sides because of how it's structured. So as a, as a place to transact, it's actually really good. The problem is that the the optics are not set up in a way where that is readily available to consumers that it's good for that. So as, as the marketplace develops, their willingness to uh, be that forward with, with buyer and seller safeguards is a big strategic advantage and having some amount of the, the brand equity of the, the Channel Fireball name really uh, may help that be be the place to go. Honestly, one of the bigger challenges of, of TCG Player is that the the way people choose to price cards isn't always uh, equitable to the to the broader market or in line with with, with sales data or other other perceptions of card value. You know, it, it's difficult to look at a, a card and realize that oh it's a it's a four hundred dollar foil because that's the cheapest copy when the last sale might be eighty or ninety dollars. So I think that's kind of one of the challenges of TCG player as a market. But overall like it's it's a reasonable place to to be transacting high end magic cards um, in many ways a lot better than than eBay and StockX for sure. And Michael, what's your long view on TCG player? Like what do you think is their long game? whether it's in the U.S. or even beyond it? So I can touch on the, the beyond it first. I think it is extraordinarily unlikely for a TCG player to ever grow outside the United States. Um, I think there's certain regulatory challenges. 
there are certain uh, differences in marketplaces and how customers approach them. But the, the biggest tell to all of that is that uh, Canadian stores had been legacy customers through uh, the Crystal Commerce integration from 10 years ago on TCG Player. And Canadian stores are not allowed to sign up for TCG Player proper anymore. So I highly doubt that they would be going back into that international market. What about Europe? Like, what about going beyond Canada? So TCG Player does support buyers from from other parts of the world, and there's a, a process for doing that. I, at this point, they are they are selling in Europe, but in terms of of bringing sellers from Europe here, probably less likely. And certainly from Asia Pacific is the same the same type of challenges. And I guess it's really a question of of why would you want to? What is the size of that customer base? What are what is that customer base offering to you? You can look comparatively for what magic cards are worth in in Europe and Japan compared to the US. And is it worth paying the the extra cost of shipping it across continents? And in particular, I guess so now's now's a challenging time to talk about anything involving other countries because the exchange rates are so bad for them and so so good for the United States. The euro is at, at parity, it's one to one, which it hasn't been in 20 years when normally it's like $1.15 to the euro, which means it's much, much harder for non for people outside the United States to purchase cards from the United States. But even in, in the before times, you know, you would see a very small percentage of cards that were selling for significantly more money outside. So I don't know why uh, you'd want to go try to create the market in other parts of the world when there's not really a payoff. Yeah, so I, th- I think TCG Player's long-term goal is to be to be the everything company. They acquired uh, Roker Robotics back in 2021. That's the company that manufactures sorting machines. Their sorting machines are, are incredible. They're the best ones in the market. But what's kind of happening is that we're seeing you know, cards get bought at a business, which is, which is the hard part, right? Like that's, that's kind of the uh, Amazon's last mile problem, right? The, the unsolvable problem is how do you get inventory? So, so stores are already kind of doing that. And then they're selling you the hardware that you use to get that inventory online. And then they are offering direct by TCG player to have you send the cards to Syracuse and have them do all the shipping and all the customer service. and they're they're basically the ones shipping it out as well. In in my view, uh, TCG Player as a company is kind of trying to be like the the sleeve to sleeve solution, basically, right? Getting getting the card from the hands of one customer to the hands of another, and trying to capture as big of a revenue share in the middle as possible. Yeah, I mean, they're just just the everything story, right? I guess that's a very direct Amazonian or Amazon analogy. Right there, there's a lot of there's a lot of comparisons to Amazon with with how TCG Player is approaching things. Um, I don't think that it is entirely entirely misguided for how they're they're approaching things at the high level. I do take Chetty at face value when he says he cares about LGSs and, and wants to see, see game stores do well. Um, so I don't think we're going to see the the hyper predatory Amazon cutting everyone else out of of, of a product. Right, we're not going to see them go to a Chinese manufacturer and make their you know, make a cheaper version of Tarmogoyf, right? Like that's that that's not going to be happening here. But at the same time, 
they're going to be trying to develop the the logistics in the middle to be as as frictionless as possible to to capture revenue, which is the natural goal of a business. That's that's what they're there for. Michael, thank you. Thank you for your insights. My name is Edward Wynn. I was basically on the road full time. I would basically be working a booth at at Grand Prix around the world basically almost every weekend in 2018, 2019. I probably did close to 80, 80 Grand Prix. Since 2019, I've actually started my own business as well. Uh, so a lot of what I do is basically opening a full-time business, doing this on my own, working on Vermillion. Uh, my business is kind of what I do to fill the time. Uh, so my week my weekdays are spent here at home in Portland, and then my weekends are usually spent traveling to events. What's your base? So I started out primarily magic. That was what I did. That's why I've known for the longest time. That's kind of what the market I've dealt with for the longest time. So obviously I'm on TCG player. That's just kind of the the baseline for I imagine any real business that has an e-commerce focus. It's really just kind of the bread and butter of most operations. I've since really branched on to other things. Uh, I deal on Pokemon. Pokemon has obviously uh, grown very rapidly as a market as well. I do a lot of sports cards. I do a lot of shoes, Legos, watches, etc. And all these really kind of require a unique marketplace. TG Player is to cards. eBay is kind of just your catch-all. It's very good for sports cards. It's good for sneakers, etc. StockX is one of those things that also very it's one of those play, things that's really grown as a marketplace it's more for shoes so all these things i really started to really diversify and really kind of put my foot in the water for each one of these just because i've gone so wide just because it's no longer magic anymore like how it was when i first started because that was really my focus back then but it feels like with how the collectible marketplace has really taken off uh it really only made sense for me to really dip out and kind of reach into all these different platforms and from there, I'm really able to kind of understand the strengths and weaknesses, why I would choose to use one platform over another, why I would take this one item and figure out where I can move it, what, what platform I could put on to maximize my return on it. Okay, kind of the tricky, the tricky part of this, right? One of the easiest things that people can do is here's a stack of cards. These are all going on TC player. That's a very basic level of thinking. That's kind of what most stores do fall back onto. But I think a lot of stores are kind of selling themselves short by not looking at different avenues for, for, for them to sell cards because or just anything in general. The big news item, which is TCG Player acquiring Channel Fireball and I guess Binder POS as well, which is the inventory system. So what do you think this actually means for retailers, first of all? What does it mean for someone like you or maybe someone else as well? So I think the nature of TCG Player and what they've done over the years, uh, in my mind, is quite is, is pretty good for the consumer. I think it's substantially worse for the retailer, right? These are two different sides of the coin. So looking at it from two different ends, when you have consolidation in the marketplace, similar to what TCG Player is doing, because the extent to which they've grown has been very impressive over the past few years. We know that they've extended from, there's a point when they were inside a mall in Syracuse, New York. That's where the office is. They were just kind of, they kind of had a small office there. And I believe since I've been in New York, I visited their warehouse multiple times. And there was a stretch where almost every time I visited their warehouse and their store, they're actually moving locations and trying to get bigger and bigger. Uh, part of this is the scale of direct and how big that's grown, how big the direct marketplace has grown, how many more direct sellers are than before. 
And then they've since expanded into, they have offices. Uh, I believe they have a tech office in Georgia that focuses on the back end, the technology aspect of TCG player, providing support for any IT related issues. And then, and they're obviously now they're continuing to grow, right? This is the next step. They've, uh, we know that they've uh, gotten some relatively large funding from investors to do these sorts of things. And now buying out Channel Fireball and Binder POS, in my mind is, part part of it is, it seems like, again, consolidation of the market. They're really kind of removing these little outliers and kind of people, uh, entities are kind of on their periphery and they're seeing because Channel Fireball, 2020, I believe they started to work on their marketplace to have a real TCG player competitor. So we did see the launch of Channel Fireball Market. And really from the feedback I got from a lot of people, it was pretty underwhelming. I don't think that they really took off with the level of success that they were really hoping for uh, because that was really what they wanted to do. They wanted to move directly away from selling the singles themselves and being simply a marketplace for people to transact on for people, for sellers like me to go on there. And, and then at some point they actually sold all their entire singles inventory to good games, which is a store there in Australia, they have multiple locations in Australia, but they actually have a U.S. branch in Chicago and Indianapolis. I had a chance to uh, chat with them briefly this past weekend when I was vending command fest Indianapolis. Um, so they actually sold all their singles to them. So channel fireball as an entity, they no longer hold, singles in any capacity that you can buy directly from them so it in my mind it feels like channel fireball has really shifted had they really moved the needle in terms of what their focus is in the tcg in the tcg space moving from selling singles to selling no singles to working on the marketplace and now they're being inquired entirely by tcg player TCG player effectively becoming more dominant and having binder pos like what what are some of the other things that What's the bottom line for retailers, like in your in your opinion? Yeah, of course. So I think short term, I think uh, a lot of retailers will probably be ecstatic because Crystal Commerce being one of the competitors for Binder POS, kind of their own system. Most people are kind of shoehorned into using Crystal Commerce. And on some level, everyone has directly dealt with Crystal Commerce in some form. Uh, and most, I think I would argue that even most consumers, the way they've dealt directly with Crystal Commerce is trying to buy a card that's recently spiked. We know about, hey, this card's getting unbanned and there's a massive surge of people wanting to buy that card while it's still cheap. The consumer experience there is, hey, your cancel got ordered. And most of the time people seem to think that it's something malicious. Most stores that use Crystal Commerce, they have that same playset listed on eBay, on Amazon, on TC Player, et cetera. And because there's some desync, because TCG player has to be able to recognize that the card sold and Crystal Commerce still sees an inventory. The short-term impact is good because there's less reliance on Crystal Commerce, which most people in the industry understand to be the worst, best option for, for that scenario, right? Correct, correct. So looking at another option, now people start thinking, is Binder POS a good option? Is the integration there? Are a lot of these shortcomings of Crystal Commerce going to be resolved? So for retailers, most people might think that's good. And honestly, I think most people will be exact to move away from Crystal Commerce entirely. I think down the line, we might see some issues. Now we're going we're gonna to see, okay, what are the shortcomings of Binder POS now? Are they going to charge an outrageous amount of fees? Because now there's you're kind of back in the same boat. Now Crystal Commerce is just replaced with Binder POS. 
because teach you player always one incumbent OPS. becomes another incumbent right and they can kind of set the price yeah right exactly like what like at that point like what choice do you have um and this is one of those things where we may look down the line and okay is the grass really greener over here or do we just replace crystal commerce with crystal commerce 2 type thing what does it mean for the for the consumer or the, someone who's just like wanting to buy a commander card wanting to buy a, a magic single what do you think are the the ramifications of this to be perfectly honest, I don't feel like there's any sort of substantial ramifications because the TCG player model, all of it is kind of pushed onto the seller. And that's one thing I don't really care for, um, right? Everything is kind of on the seller. Uh, the shipping is always on the customer. Almost there's very few people that pay for shipping on TCG player because if you filter and you sort on TCG player, naturally the free shipping option just kind of goes to the top. Yeah, or you have to win the buy box, so you, you're you're like basically race to the bottom. You got to offer uh, a very good deal, right? Right, right. Um, so, like, realistically, mold because most of that isn't visible to the consumer, they don't see that. They don't see the fees that that us as a retailer that we pay, the shipping, all that, etc. Um, whereas a lot of other platforms do. For example, if you buy on StockX, when you pay for something, you pay the shipping charge and you pay a handling fee. Um, and all that, and all that is paid on the buyer. If you look at most high-end auction houses, for some eBay obviously doesn't use this, but if you look at Heritage, if you look at PWCC, they all have a buyer's premium. You pay twenty percent over the sticker price that you pay. If you win an auction for a thousand dollars, you're actually paying twelve hundred dollars to PWCC. The seller gets a thousand dollars because that was the hammer price, and PWCC keeps the twenty percent. Uh, but that's on the buyer to pay that. Whereas TG player, they have the complete opposite. Whereas the consumer, they don't see any of those fees. TCG is like the Amazon playbook, right? Let's give all, pass on all the savings to the customer, customer first, but then uh, customers don't realize the sort of viper pit between the retailers behind the scenes, if I understand. Yes, yes. Uh, and that's that's really a big part of it. Um, and they, they, they don't see that. And, and frankly, I don't think it's on the customer to care, right? All they want is, and that's one of the things that while we, people can say what they can about Amazon. Amazon does it very well. They provide a very seamless customer experience. If I buy something, it's 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 on them to get to me. It doesn't matter how inefficient or efficient it is. It's they pay all that. All I know is if I if I need a Sharpie and I need it today and I I can pay the $3 and have it in my door in 2 hours. So I think for the the customer, it's actually very good. I think a lot of these I know that there's been kind of varying issues with channel fireball marketplace it doesn't have enough traffic prices are high etc but what once all this is starting to get consolidated into tc player it creates i think a better experience but the worst part is again this is something that retailers see retailers uh one of the big perks about channel fireball marketplace is and what tc player originally did for a while was they only allow for licensed businesses to sell or for uh in order to be one of a tc player direct seller you had to be a physical brick and mortar store someone like me who does online only wouldn't qualify for it but the floodgates kind of have opened there now anyone could be a tc per direct seller and i imagine the restriction of must be a business for a channel farm marketplace would be gone because now it's all under tc players umbrella so you so the consumer may have worse experiences because now again anyone can sell and i imagine most uh customers on tc player they probably have a probably poor experience because they buy from a seller that just doesn't have the experience selling they aren't properly packaging their card they're not not doing all these things would the customer not just learn 
different behaviors over time because they they learn from it. So maybe I'll just filter by TCG Direct. So I'll I'll only get the the better service ones, or I'm only buying from this retailer that has a a, a more solid reputation. Like, wouldn't customers also adjust over time? Absolutely not. It's one of those things that people will perpetually complain about, right? The buy box for TCG Direct is there on. 99.99% of the cards. It's always there for people to buy direct. People are always going to scroll down, try and find a cheaper option. The analog is airlines, right? Everyone complains about how awful flying is, how awful airlines are, right? How like we get terrible service on airlines, but people always fly Spirit, right? Every Spirit airline I've seen is booked Spirits to the business, right? Spirit, yeah. Spirit, Spirit's a business. Spirit does better than ever with how expensive it is. They don't. People don't want to pay for a slightly bigger seat or a ability to check their bag. They literally want to get from point A to point B as cheap as possible. That's all they care about. The consumer on TCG player just wants to get the card from your door to my door as cheaply as possible. I may have to deal with some issues along the way. Hey, but that's sometimes the cost of it, right? Sometimes I, this is what it is, but... You want to have your cake and eat it too, basically, as a customer. Right, there's no shortage of people that rather than get a bunch of cards from TCG player direct at once, they'll just buy, okay, this person has zero feedback, but they're $2 less than direct. I'm going to buy that card from them. Does it have any ramifications? The fact that CFB was like somehow dabbling in collectibles and things like that. And now TCG has that arm or that asset. So one thing that TCG player has to deal with is cataloging. But now if you're talking about wanting to expand, like what's the next step for them? We know that TCG player is getting into sports cards. Their goal is to have it, I want to say probably later this year. It's been something that's been on the radar for a while. But if you think about the size of the market for sports cards, it's astronomical and it would absolutely make sense that TCG player would want to get into that market. But again, this, the issue there, I imagine the biggest issue is the sheer cataloging. How do you catalog sports cards? Because if people thought, if people in the magic space thought that wizards of the coast comes out with a lot of products, sports cards is a whole different animal. It's just the sheer number of sets that come out. How many different companies produce cards? How many different sets they come out? So you're saying CFB had the ability to do these things? I, I, I want to say that they were more in tune with the cataloging process. I think they were very on top of it, especially one of the things that they had advertised when they first start was being able to catalog things very quickly and being able to really get this out as quickly as possible so in turn we can list our products as quickly as possible so it can get to the customer as quickly as possible as soon as something is spoiled you want that out there you if you're in the market of pre-selling you want that online on your store ready to sell and i and honestly i think that's like one of the biggest challenges that's a common problem with crystal commerce right anytime you have a new listing because even uh in in, in sports cards you want to have a listing for graded cards it's its own unique item its own unique serial number we need crazy listing for this, right? The magic example would be Viscerous here. The reverse Viscerous here is that came out secret layers number to 100, right? That required its own listing very quickly right away. Uh, that's really kind of TCG player's next step. What's your view on TCG player's long game? TCG player has really expanded on all levels, right? First, we looked at them from a technology company. We talked about how fundamentally their technology company, their marketplace, they need to be focused on these two things they need to provide they do have a better experience for your retailers being able to provide them the technology like physically provide them technology they need to succeed in their business whether it be a marketplace that is working most of the time there needs to be no issues with sales right how can like one of the things they they pushed out yesterday was there's a subscriber sale this this uh, coming friday 10 percent off for all subscribers 
how many horror stories have we heard from the subreddits from online from twitter of people just trying to simply check out and people can't check out how much money does that cost cg player how much money does, does that cost retailers right this is your selling point you have people subscribing to your service and being able to get this bag and they simply can't check out like what like i don't understand how this can truly be if you're a technology company um same thing as a marketplace right if you're going to be a marketplace you need to really have a good customer experience and to tcg player all of us are their customers it doesn't matter if i'm a retailer um i'm i'm one of their customers because i they provide service for me i pay the money for that service and as a consumer someone who buys magic cards you're providing traffic to the tcg player website you're buying cards both of these things are things that need to be improved. Like how can you produce better technology, which I think is a great direction with what they're doing with Binder POS and how can we improve the marketplace where it really becomes people's go-to for shopping? Because as a whole, what like when you think of you, when you need things, right? For household items, to be frank, I just go to Amazon, right? It's just so simple. I can be in my house. Um, and and they've actually done a very good job um, from the teaching player side, because now, most people, I imagine, if you're a Yu-Gi-Oh player, Magic player, Pokemon player, kind of the big three games, this is probably where you start out, um, which is really unfortunate for retailers, but it's very good for TCG because how hard is it to drive traffic to your site? It doesn't matter how big you are. If you're not Card Kingdom, if you're not Star City, if you're not Cool Stuff, if you're not Troll and Toad, you're probably not getting that much traffic to your site simply because people just know I'm just going to the TCG player and look it up because, frankly, unless you're one of those top three, you can you can provide kind of the top levels of service and I need a scouting card. I need to place that scouting cards next week. Boom. Let's go on TCG player. Let's find someone that has four, put four in my cart, check out, it'll be here. And that's really kind of the next step of TCG, uh, in TCG player. Like how can we improve these two things? And then kind of to allude to what you're saying earlier, realistically, I think the next step would be TCG player opening up an office in Canada, somewhere in Europe, that type of thing. And provide kind of like starting to expand on that service to simply more parts of the world. Because they're right there. Syracuse is, I want to say, probably four hours from Canada if you just kind of drive across the border, just towards Buffalo and then just over the border to Toronto. Because that really kind of allows them to tap into a whole new marketplace of people that in Canada that may not have access to kind of all these different markets that us, that Americans do. Edward, thank you for taking the time. Yeah, no problem at all. Hi, my name is Douglas Johnson, but basically everybody calls me DJ. I am the owner of the store called Card Garden on TCG Player and primarily on Twitter. I do a lot of magic buying and selling on Twitter. I've been in this industry for a little over 10 years now, roughly. All right. So DJ, let's just address the elephant in the room. The TCG Player merger slash acquisition of Channel Fireball this week. What do you think this actually means at a high level for retailers in general? Sure. So I, I will preface this by saying that I am a pretty small time vendor in the, the grand scheme of magic vendors. Uh, I, I've never had my own booth at a GP, for example. I've never uh, I, I've never like owned an alpha black Lotus or something like that. I, I, my inventory is uh, not nearly the scale or size of some other magic vendors that you might be talking to for this, this project. I'm in the gray area of like, not quite a big name, but not quite uh, a backpack grinder kind of thing. Just from uh, from my perspective, uh, I do think that as a general rule, um, consolidation and monopolies within industry are bad. Uh, I think competition is help, uh, healthy, especially when it comes to marketplaces uh, and online retailers and giving players an option of where to sell their cards. 
um, and TCG player has just sort of uh, slowly been squeezing other uh, organizations and industry uh, industry leaders out of the market. Like Channel Fireball is clearly the most recent one, but they've also uh, been able to just, I guess, snuff out other um, any small grassroots attempts for other uh, other people to build that kind of like reputation and rep- that sort of. Uh, marketplace there's been many that have tried many have failed and channel fireball is sort of uh one of the few that uh still exists uh i I would say tcg players biggest competition right now is ebay and that is the that that's the one that's older than them that that is since uh the the pre-2000s era so that's 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 a big giant to fight for them but we'll see where that goes your business is on tcg player is that right Primarily, yes. I, I primarily sell through TCG Player. I've also expanded out recently to Card Trader, which is sort of like an international version of TCG Player. And then social media is another big one for me. I am uh, pretty well known in like the Twitter and Facebook uh, magic community in terms of buying and selling. I get a lot of requests and a lot of collections through the mail from there. For you personally on TCG Player, do you think there's any short-term or long-term impacts well, TCG Player recently increased their fees. Just uh, they announced it about a month ago, and I think it goes into effect soon, if not already. Um, and I think that was part of it is to increase the fees to possibly pay for this big merger, just put uh, put a little bit more capital into their pocket, and just sort of testing the waters of like how far can we, how how much can we increase fees before we start to lose sellers and lose people to eBay or lose people to selling on um, their own platforms or their own marketplaces kind of thing. So they, they've already increased the fees on the marketplace. Uh, the direct shipping cost is what they replace basically. Or the, the direct replacement fee is what they call it. I would love to see other marketplaces just increase their ability to compete with TCG player, but it's, it's becoming more and more likely that uh, TCG is going to, end up as some kind of like vertical Rockefeller-esque monopoly where they they have the supply chain and they've purchased uh, magic adjacent companies in the past. Like Delver Lens is a, a scanning app that you can get for your phone where you if you're at FNM or whatever, you can pop out your phone, scan a card. Oh, that's what this card's worth. That's what set it's from. It, very, very good camera quality and scanning technology. TCG Player bought them a few years ago. TCG Player bought uh, Roco Robotics, which is sort of the, the premier magic sorting machine. So you're selling on TCG Player, uh, you're buying cards possibly through TCG Player buy list on your website, uh, and then TCG is getting a percentage of that for, for every single step of the way. So let's change the lens, right? For customers, any speculation as to sort of the longer term impacts of this deal? Like what happens like for a customer? If I'm just a customer who wants to buy a commander deck or, or a card, like is there any impact for me? I think there could be if TCG continues to increase their fees and change their fee structure. I mean, if TC, uh, currently, if you sell, if you're a direct seller and you sell a card on the direct platform for $2.99, the fees are roughly $1.50, so 50%, which is very, very high. I mean, 50% is a very high amount of fee. Granted, there's a lot of things that go into that in terms of only having to ship one package, uh, TCG players' labor costs and customer service costs. That There are a lot of things with that, but I mean, uh, I think you could see prices increase if vendors on TCG player feel like they're getting squeezed and feel like they're not um, getting a, a good enough rate on their cards. They could, you could see more vendors say, I'm not, not going to list cards on TCG player under X threshold, like under 30 cents, 40 cents. And uh, if you shop at card kingdom and you're used to seeing those kind of price minimums, I think you could expect to see them across TCG player as a whole, which leads to 
more cards being harder to get for very, very cheap prices, like the the ability to just buy an entire 60 card deck for $8 or whatever, that, that might be fading away depending on how they change their fee structure. So we could see price changes in, from that aspect. Do you have any thoughts as to how this impacts like the collectibles or high-end magic market? My understanding of it is that CFB had was playing in that space in their marketplace, right? CFB had some weird stuff going on towards the end with the, uh, what was it, like the buy a share of a Black Lotus? That was, <laughs> so like there was that, which I personally wouldn't want any part of, and I can't see TCG wanting any part of it. Uh, but in terms of like this, the super high end stuff, uh, one thing that I really wish TCG player would reallocate funds towards, uh, and you might've already heard this from somebody else is the, uh, the ability to improve their listing with photos quality. So that's one thing that eBay has always been very, very good at is being able to list high quality pictures of your high end card. So if you're selling like a time twister or black Lotus or set of dual lands, being able to list those photos on eBay and know exactly what you're getting. Like sports cards is something that TCG players like trying to, they claim that they're dipping their toes into. Um, but if you're not aware and you've ever shopped for cards on TCG player that have photo listings, the photos are not particularly great quality um, because they compress the images. And so that is something that I would like to see TCG fix if they were going to move into that high end market. And if they were trying to push people towards selling their black lotuses or their their holy grail masterpieces and stuff like that on the platform because right now there's uh there's a lot of sellers on the marketplace that list like eight cent cards with pictures and i, I think there's sort of this communication discrepancy between those sellers and tcg of like that's not what this tool is for like so uh i, I would love to see tcg player make improvements it, like if we're going down this road towards a vertical monopoly I would, I would love to be incentivized to be a part of it, I guess is what I'm saying, even, even though that may be uh, sort of resigning myself to late stage capitalism, but that's a whole nother rabbit hole. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like TCG needs to improve a lot of its current offerings. And that's a totally separate issue from what they get from CFB, right? It's just stuff they need to improve on no matter what. Yeah, it's something that, like if you want to be the king, if you want to be the 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 biggest name in this marketplace, then I, I do think that sellers should be seeing their um, seeing their fees go towards these projects and have a bit more insight into like, like product roadmaps or like just sort of like a, an upcoming view of like, Hey, we're TCG player. We're trying to be transparent. This is what you can expect from us using your hundreds of thousands of dollars in fee money and the venture venture capital money that we recently received. What's your view on TCG players long game? Because let's be honest, they're the biggest player, right? So how do you see the American collectibles market evolving in the next little while? So there's a couple of similarities here between TCG Player and Card Kingdom. I think uh, I do think Card Kingdom is one of the other big names that doesn't get thrown around as much. Um, but they are, I think they're silently very, very competitive with TCG Player in terms of the number of products they move and in terms of their like upward scaling over the past decade in terms of being an actual business that knows how to handle capital and uh just sort of operations and logistics um and there's a couple there's one other similarity between tcg player and card kingdom and that is unionization attempts so draw whatever parallel you want from that um card kingdom is currently making a unionization attempt and uh, tcg player had a failed one a couple of years ago um where they then ended up settling for higher wages and not forming a union but i i think that can be indicative of uh 
North American labor market and means in the context of collectibles. And uh, like, I, I think that if TCG player continues to go down the track that they are, I, I, I see a lot of t- parallels between TCG player and Amazon too, for example, in terms of uh, just sort of what they're trying to do and the, all the, the spider web of acquisitions they're trying to make. So DJ, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. It's really good to get your insights. Thank you. Yeah, I, I do really enjoy talking about the industry. Uh, it is a job that I did not expect to be in 10 years ago. I really enjoy just learning more about the industry and just seeing where everything goes. And uh, it's, a, it's a very unique business to be in. I will put it that way. Thank you for listening to this episode of Humans of Magic. To support the show, visit humansofmagic.com, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at humansofmagic, and you can also consider supporting us at patreon.com slash humansofmagic. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.